And we're back. We were at the show number two of the Deacons Roundtable, WSFI 88.5 FM or WSFICatholicRadio.org. And I am joined with, again today with my Deacon brothers from the Archdiocese of Chicago. First and first of all, I have Deacon Richard Hudzik from uh, our vicar of the Archdiocese of Chicago. And I have Mike Galandi, who is a deacon at our Native of the Annunciation in uh, Mundell. Deacon Dave Deacon from uh, Victory Lake Senior Community. Welcome, guys. Thank you for coming back. Thank you. And who are you? <laughs> I'm just a moderator. Deacon Greg Webster from St. Raphael the Archangel in Old Mill Creek, Illinois. Last time we talked about, for our, leading, our audience, we talked a little bit about the diaconate, and we're going to explore it a little bit more today. And uh, one of the things that we thought we would start with, actually well, the most important thing we'll start with, is a prayer. As we used to joke in formation, we have a spontaneous prayer, which we asked Mike ahead of time to say. And uh, Mike, if you will lead it for In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. amen. We ask the Holy Spirit to come upon us and may his gift of wisdom and peace be upon us so that those who will be listening will in themselves receive peace and wisdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Today we're going to talk about or start off with is uh, who or what is the permanent deacon? I know that when I'm at uh, St. Raphael, whether I'm wearing an alb, a stole, a uh, dalmatic, I always get greeted as father, which I say good morning, but we are not fathers. We are, we are deacons, and I think many of us are a little cloudy on who and what the permanent deacon is. So if we can start with Deacon Hudzik on this conversation and uh, explore this a little bit. Okay. A permanent deacon is... Uh is a uh, minister who is ordained, has received the sacrament of, of holy orders. He is, uh, I think, the uh, Second Vatican Council calls us the uh, the lowest uh, of the hierarchy, the lowest of the uh, the ordained ministers. Permanent deacon. Maybe it's helpful to say what he is not, or what's not a helpful way of thinking about the deacon. The deacon is not best described as one who does a series of tasks. Deacon is not best described as the guy who reads the gospel or who occasionally preaches or presides at communion services. And the reason I say defining who a deacon is in terms of his functions misses so much of affirmatively who or what a deacon is. And deacon is a man called to ministry, ordained by the church, receives the grace of the sacrament, whose entire life is, when we're at our best, when we cooperate with the grace God showers on us, when our life is lived as an integrated servant, as a man who is, by his life, a servant in all that he does, a servant in his liturgical role, as a servant in his family, to his wife, in the workplace. He's one who through his actions again when we're at our best and so often you know we fail to be at our best but when we are there what we are endeavoring to be to be seen as is an icon of christ the servant and maybe that's just a a good starting off point but that's that's where i would begin it's not about what we do it's who we are i think that's a a great perspective because i i try to remind myself oftentimes that uh, probably the least 
like I say, least important, but my least enjoyable aspect of being a deacon is doing the dishes at Mass. But I uh, don't do them at home, don't like to do them at church. But uh, <laughs> but because it's it, the ministry is so much more than that, of course, that's what people see. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not really, I mean, obviously, we, we take part in, in the celebration of the Eucharist, which is a very honored place to be, by all means, not to make light of it. As, as you said, the, the deacon at the act and its goal is to be so much more than that, the servant of Christ. Michael. How would you uh, like to add to the identity aspect? From uh, the outside, it's kind of difficult for people to understand. But once you get closer to people or people you know, they begin to see the role of the deacon through our lives. That we haven't abandoned our marriage. No. The marriage vows become even more important. We do ministries, but this time, hopefully they see how much more fully given we are to our ministries. That we are there forever it's not just for one season that we do a ministry but we're there we're given the other thing i see is part of the diaconate life is having a family that becomes a role model for everybody to see that they begin to see the deacon and the family together not just the deacon on the altar but the deacon with the family i remember uh, during formation father Reggianos, who was the pastor prince of peace in saint edna used to remind me, it's like, Greg, make sure you don't go on every week so you spend time with your family, not only on the altar, but in the pews. I thought that was always very important. Dave? The more I've been thinking of what was just said at the table, one of the thoughts that really came into my mind is that you could take the stole from me and I'd still be a deacon. It is a way of life. It is an approach to how you live. And one of the things that I think is extremely important when people see that that is your lifestyle, that reinforces your roles at all the other, on liturgical, on the outside. I remember one of the greatest compliments that I ever got from one of the parishioners, and I had worked with her a lot, even outside committees, and she made a comment to me that she may disagree with something that I say, but she would never, ever doubt my intention. And I think that's what part of a deacon is. That I, I can see your point, because I disagree a lot of what you say as well. <laughs> yeah, I, so. I, I <laughs> well but, no, but I mean, the, the point of it being that, that it is your thoughts are being taken seriously, because they know they're being done for the right reasons. You know, I think it's an interesting perspective, because it's, it's it's a growth perspective. It's not something you have during formation. It's not something when you're first ordained. When you're first ordained, you're just like, oh... Am I doing this right? right? But it's a growth thing, because I know in, in my own life, it's directly proportional to the prayer life. That a deacon without a significant prayer life is fooling himself, and that we have to first be bound into our prayer life and then have that reach out to others. But, And I think the prayer life for me, I think, is, is something that expands. It's not something where, you know, we had to do the hours in the morning and the evening, well, I think for all of us, our prayer life has expanded much further than that. So, so first of all, we have to uh, make sure that we're s- grounded in prayer, which uh, is no different than any Catholic, actually, with our, from our baptism that we need, we need to be. It's just expanded upon further, and it's also an ordained, ordained ministry. It's a, and it's a public, a public witness of, of what you're doing um, by virtue of the ordination. Uh, you are, at least liturgically, you are in the front of the congregation it's a public testimony which is a distinction which is not necessarily where uh, a baptized a person who is baptized but not ordained will be 
this notion of what we do versus who we are, I think you can also talk about it in terms of being a, a biofeedback. I'm sitting here with uh, an organic chemist or something, <laughs> whatever, some kind of chemist across the table from me. But the notion that, uh, or a chicken and the egg, which comes first? Is it the liturgy that comes first, which uh, leads me to a deeper prayer life, or is it a deeper prayer life and the, the actions I'm doing uh, in service that leads to a deeper appreciation of the liturgy. It, it's, it's a both and, and one leads into the other, and you can't have one without the other, both of them together. But what clearly it's not is I have done my deacon thing, so to speak, because I read the gospel at the Mass. It's wonderful that you read the gospel, but there, there, it's, it's such a small dimension of, of the totality of, of, the, uh, of the ministry. Again, not to minimize liturgy in any respect, but it's got to rise out of and also feed the rest of the things that we do as a, as a deacon. I think it's also interesting how we represent also the, the laity kind of as an intermediary aspect because we do have professional lives, most of us. We, we uh, as, as they said in formation, that our job is to be Christ in the workplace, which is always something that's very hard to be because my workplace isn't always a place that's uh, open to Christ in the workplace, right? And certainly it's not a place where you can preach with words. You have to preach with the way you are. And for, for manager-level people, that that's actually not the easiest thing to do. There's a lot of things you have to do that are strict, for lack of a better term. Since I'm familiar with your workplace, Dave, why, why don't can you expand upon that idea or how you feel about being Christ in the workplace? One of the things that I do not do at work, unless it is brought up by someone else, is start, I guess, talking religion. Um, I went and did some work after formation and ethics, and so how I approach it is what my values are. So people see me and how I react to other people. You know, do you give respect to everybody? Do you follow what would be the Christian way of life? It's using sort of St. Francis' comment that preach the gospel always, use words if necessary. And with that, people start following your example, that they may think twice of saying something in a meeting when they would otherwise just come off with a, a, a jive-type comment. And it's, so by on that aspect, you're leading by example by showing a different way of life, a different behavior of the respect that everybody deserves. So in that way, I think it re- that is probably the easiest way to bring Christ into the workplace. And there's one story I remember reading about some missionaries going into Africa and the tribal, they met with the tribal chief and said that, okay, we'll hear about your religion, but you have to wait for two years. And I want you to live in the village, and then at the end of that time, we will talk. And so they wanted to see how you live their life. Is that something that the tribal chief wanted to have his people exposed to? And so I think that story is a great example of what it means to live that Christian life and bringing Christ into the workplace. And it has to be very careful because it's not, hey, look at me, I'm a deacon. Cause, cause as, as Deacon Hudson started out today is that, you know, we're as sinful as anybody else in the room. And, yeah. and uh, so we're not a beating. Uh, if, we're, if we're example, we're example of men who are trying. We're not yeah. men who have achieved. Without so. question. There was one of my daughters when they were in um, high school, I went and gave a, a talk to them. And it was about they were dealing with ethics. And it was a Catholic high school. 
And I started out that, you know, I'm a male, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a Christian, and I happen to be ordained. And so it's putting all of those different roles, all of those roles are part of your life, and you want to live all of them consistently in Christ. Amen. So I, the other day when I was at work, a lady from our parish walked down the hall and said, Deacon, Deacon Greg. And I said, no, no, no. It's Greg. I'm here. <laughs> here it's Greg. It's not that I ever don't want to be Deacon Greg by all means, but everything in its right place. It is important that you know, we do show our faith. And we, boy, in this economy, in this this uh, time in history, it is ever so much important for, for men and dads to show their faith and to be seen praying in public for what we're doing. Now, Mike, you're a consultant, so how does that play for you? Thank you. Very difficult. Uh, I, don't, I don't talk religion. I talk values, however, of community, teamwork. I think when people work together as a team, to me that's being, living a community. Confronting each other when there are uh, problems, okay, or stresses, and being civil as they do that. To me, that's already a way of preaching. But shouldn't we all be doing that whether we're deacons or not? Where's, where's the difference? The value on the person, as far as I'm concerned, is the difference. Rather than valuing productivity per se and saying, we're doing this so we can even make more money, we look at it as, hey, this member of the team is valuable by himself or herself, and she deserves whatever in when you deal with conflict. So to me, that's my, my contribution. I don't talk about uh, religious freedom or other issues, no. It's, I think, when I live it, okay, that things begin to happen. Oh, I love to talk about religious freedom. I just be careful when I do it. <laughs> but yeah, I understand your point. The, the other thing, the other thing I, from my experience is, they seem to suggest to me who my identity is. So if there are conflicts between husband and wife, and they approach me, it tells me right away, hey, they have a certain perception of that I am a helper, that they can run to me and get some objective help. And I think it's also, we also learned in formation that when, when you're in the room, the church is in the room. And that's a pretty big responsibility to have. Now, Deacon Hudzik, as, as, a, as a lawyer and someone who works for the diocese, uh, not someone who actually works for a living, dude. <laughs> How do you see this? <laughs> do you want to uh, rephrase that question? <laughs> no, I figured I'm working on my reassignment right now. <laughs> How do I address this? Well, I think uh, I just I'd, one of the things I would do is is return to the question or the way you phrase it, Greg, earlier, and that is should not every should not every person be speaking his or her values in in the workplace uh, with or without a religious explanation? And I think that's that's a wonderful question because I think the answer to that is is yes. And if it is yes, then all right, Deacon, then. What, if anything, is different about you? Uh, how do you respond differently in quantum or quality or tone from uh, a person who is not ordained? Um, I think that's a difficult question. I think the way I would answer that, I'm answering a question you didn't, you didn't ask me, but uh, I just want to get back to it. And that is the blessing that of, of being ordained, um, having... The grace of God to draw me to think through the the question of values in a in a secular uh, setup situation that I am called to think of that in terms of of servanthood 
um, I've, I've got to keep in my own head um, constantly that being the icon of, of Christ the servant um, and dwelling with that and I say the blessing of the ordination I think brings me to that place and it's, it's it constantly on my mind Great, thank you very much. And that brings us to our first break here at WSFI. You're listening to WSFI FM 88.5 in uh, Antioch, Illinois, or WSFI CatholicRadio.org. We'll be back shortly. from the Church of St. Mary's and the Chicago Bulls. I, I believe Catholic Radio is important for all of us out there listening to help us through days when maybe our faith is being challenged by many different obstacles that are put in our way and it's a chance to reflect and just think and hear stories from other people that maybe are going through the exact same issues that we are going through and how they have struggled and how they are getting through their problems today. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at WSFIRadio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. And we're back. Welcome to the Deacon's Roundtable on WSFI 88.5 FM. And I hate to admit that I'm old enough to remember the video for that song on MTV. So I don't think they even play videos anymore on MTV. So we've been talking about the Deacon, the life of the Deacon, with uh, my friends, uh, Deacon Richard Hudzik from the Archdiocese, Vicar of the Deacons for Archdiocese of Chicago, and my good friend Michael Andy from the St. Mary of the Annunciation, and uh, my friend and co-worker, Dave Egan, from uh, uh, the Franciscan Ministries of uh, Victory Lakes Senior Community there. Um, we've been talking a lot about uh, who is a deacon, and, and as important, it's not who, but it's not what, it, who, who is a deacon, what is his identity. Um, but for the guys out there that are thinking about the diaconate, what are some of the things that... that uh, they need to be thinking about in your mind before they actually start formation. Mike, you look. They need to be ready to uh, devote some time for studies, yes, for reading, okay? and they need to prepare their families and their wife. I was going to say the first thing is a conversation with your significant other, uh, yes. <laughs> with oh, your yeah. wife, we your life partner. Call, we call those a wife. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. You know, I'm I work in a politically correct building, so I have to be careful. The <laughs> But uh, certainly, wouldn't I would I would say this this first conversation has to be with your wife because that is your your first and primary vocation. And in information, if we all remember, our our wives have to write letters of support, handwritten to the uh, to the cardinal or the archbishop or the bishop of of your diocese, with her support 
was going on um, because we can't impinge upon that that marital vocation that we have so um, so for the ladies out there let us remember we, we, we all hold our wives in great esteem and and uh, we wouldn't uh, have it any other way than having them as part of the conversation and study <laughs> so Deacon Hudson well uh, in the Archdiocese of Chicago uh, formation Formally, is a is a four-year program in the English track. The uh, there's also a track in Spanish at the Instituto de Liderazgo Pastoral. Uh, that is a six-year uh, hitch. Uh, two years uh, first through the uh, lay ministry program, and then the four years uh, the regular uh, diaconate formation conducted in Spanish. Um, and you're asking also what what precedes that, uh, and that is. Uh, you know, as, as Mike was suggesting, uh, an openness to the possibility of, well, not a, the possibility, but an openness to the necessity for, uh, for study as well as for prayer um, to be uh, ready to, uh, to be engaged, for most of us, probably not in the way you've been engaged with the church before in, in, a, in, in a depth and in a, in a quantity. Um, it's a significant. Uh, it's a significant undertaking. Um, it's 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 certainly doable. I managed to squeak through. So, uh, but it's uh, it's you know the deeper you go, the the, the richer the experience, and um, it is a lot of work. Um, but it's you know the I don't want to call it the prize, but but the end result, uh, getting to ordination when life begins uh, as a deacon uh, is, is well worth the effort. Uh, it's, we can talk later about what goes into formation, but uh, uh, you know, those, those are my thoughts. I know, Dave, what are your? I would actually say probably the greatest requirement when you're beginning to think about the diaconate formation is that you have a love for Christ's people. Because if that is not there as a basis, being ordained can, can be just a job. And the point is that it's not a job, it's a vocation. And that vocation, that desire, that want, can allow you to get through the program without any issues. That you, It's no longer an effort to put the time in for studying. It's no longer an effort to put the time in for exploring different papers and terms. It's, it's just... A vocation of who you are and so uh, without that as a basis I don't I would probably recommend that you can you wait a while till that is there and then you're ready to begin that journey well I think that's so true that there's a you're really talking in one dimension of a, of a psychological maturity that if you're looking to the ordination as a way of validating yourself or thinking that now I finally arrived, now I am somebody. That's probably diametrically opposed to, to what we're called to be as, as deacons. Um, it's, not, it's not about me. You know, as you say you know, so well, David, it's about um, receiving the training and the, the blessing of the sacrament in order to give yourself away. And without that, there's really not much point. Yeah, I have a lot of guys who I mention the diaconate to, and they say, oh, 
maybe when I get retired, I'll be interested in it. And I said, no, 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 it's not a retirement job. <laughs> and, uh, and I think uh, putting it off for that type of reason is something I think people need to look at a little bit further. Putting it off for family reasons, health reasons, work reasons, by all means, is, is what, what we all do. But uh, simply waiting till I'm retired is is a focus that we need to refocus a little right. bit on on people for that. Yeah. Um, so much in our church, especially in the Archdiocese of Chicago, is uh, on vocations right now and the need for vocations. And uh, we can never speak enough about vocations to the priesthood. However, one of the things they ask about in in uh, what they talk about in the vocations is is ask somebody. Have you asked somebody if they're interested in becoming a priest? And I'm I'm curious. Did anyone ask you guys to become deacons, or is this something that that just you? Ner- it was a call directly from the Holy Spirit from you. Did you? Was it a direct call, or how about you, Dave? Um, I was actually asked by uh, an old pastor um, as I was about to take um, a dozen kids on a ski trip or a midnight ski trip in a youth group there, and um, actually started out. I mean, I was working for a while, but um, they had a mass beforehand, and I said, I want to be your altar boy. And I said, I want to show them that you could, as an adult, you can still serve. And he was up in the altar doing that um, when I brought over the wine and the water for him to put in the chalice. He put the chalice on the altar and said, you do it. And after that said, we have you ever considered the diaconate? And so that was actually the first time I ever really considered that when I was asked. Okay. I never, it just never crossed my mind. Mike? I turned red when the wife of a deacon said, Mike, you read so well on the altar, you should become a, a deacon. And she said that in public so loud. I said, no way. <laughs> but she kept saying that every time I would read. And after a while, in prayer, it began to, yeah, maybe you should become a deacon. And, and that started the process uh, of, of discernment. For me, I don't, I don't know if we remember a time when someone specifically asked. I think for me, I came through the service route where having done some, some activities with the Knights of Columbus that there was a joyfulness in doing some of the service that we're doing, and I think I wanted to expand further upon that. And I think my wife has to quote says there wasn't a time that it wasn't a matter of if it was when that I would become a deacon. Um, but as I, as I tell you in in uh, formation, it's a journey, so it's it's not something that you 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 decide one day and boom that's going to be it. It's something you deliberate for throughout the process that's going on, or until the cardinal's hands come down, as they they told us in formation. Um, Deacon Hudzik, were you asked specifically, or is it something that it was? Uh, you mentioned uh, you used the word joy. I remember uh, before formation, before thinking about the diaconate, discovering uh, the joy of working with with teens. Um, I was married, had a couple kids of my own. I was practicing law, which was a you know it can be psychologically heavy and just uh, discouraging, distressing, but. Working with the teens, with uh, a man who became a friend, who's uh, now uh, died, uh, Father Tom McNeff, was the pastor at the parish. And just uh, working with the, the youth group, uh, going on retreats with them, uh, encountering their joy and life, uh, something that you know you, 
you don't always see in the in the courtroom. Um, I became attracted to uh, furthering the journey and just conversation with with Father Tom over the years and months. Uh, uh, sort of a, a joint decision. Hey, why don't you take a look at this? Um, and and as they say, the rest the rest is history. So I I did sign up, and uh, um, it was just as a result of a. The mutual sharing of ideas, I guess I'd say, with the with the pastor. And how long was that period between this conversation and you entering formation? Uh, probably three years, uh, three or four years. I was working on a on a master's degree uh, in pastoral studies. I wanted to finish that. I did, and then uh, figured, all right, well, what's my next uh, what's my next goal? Uh, which is not a good way to think about this, but. Um, it was it was after finishing the masters that that I went uh, and did the started into the formation. How about you, Mike? How long was your deliberation? Probably about a couple of years. But let me just add one one more thing to my my, my daughter. One particular Sunday morning, okay, when we were having breakfast with my wife, just out of the blue, said, "Daddy, you should become a deacon." And that sort of even added to the pressure, and, and, and but I think during the two years. Wait, wait, why did she all of a sudden say that? Were you blessing the pancakes, or what was going on here? <laughs> it was between the eggs and the bacon that, okay. that, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> but but what what was significant is all those little suggestions. Somehow they come back in prayer, and so when you I was I do a weekly adoration, and during the adoration it just keeps coming up. And uh, knowing me, I would ignore, okay? But after two years, you can't, you can't ignore it anymore. It's, it's so persistent. And I started to act on it after a couple of years. How about you, Dave? How long was your... Um, initially, I went, my wife and I went for the uh, interviews, and we were married for about five years, and we were trying to start a family. And um, the results of well, no... This isn't the time for you to uh, go to the diaconate, you know, work on your family, on that. And it ends up that uh, we were unable to have children. And so we went back, talked to the pastor, and went back the next year and said, yeah, you know, we were, you know, potentially going to adopt somebody, but, you know, you never know when that's going to come. And I said, okay, you know, welcome to the program. I think the pastor probably uh, semi insisted on it. And, but one of the things that was sort of interesting during that one-year wait um, before you know could reapply, it was reaffirmed in my mind or reaffirmed with my understanding of who I was that, yeah, this was the path to go. This was right. not a passing fancy that, oh, yeah, I'll just do this. This was something that I had to do. I think it was about a 10-year wait for me because I think because – in the Archdiocese of Chicago, I don't know the national directory for the other the other diocese. Um, thirty-five was the young one. so at thirty-five I thought about the diaconate, but I didn't really start formation till forty-five, forty-six somewhere around there, and uh, so it was development. We have guys in our formation classes that started thirty-five with young families, and guys that are older guys like that uh, kind of wait till their families get a, a little bit older. And that was kind of my viewpoint is I wanted to focus on being dead and not have the diaconate conflict with 
girls basketball, girls dance, or whatever <laughs> that was going on. Um, they're all right paths. Um, so we talked about the, the being in formation and, and the decision to make the decision. How about how many times did you think that maybe this wasn't your path? Because I, you know, I think people don't want to have the idea that you, you, oh, I made made this decision, and all of a sudden it's done. It's the way it's going to be. Because that's not how at least I think formation is. It's a journey. Um, how many times did you turn back? The the other piece of that, I think, a collateral question is is the the to count the number of of men who are deacons today who uh, had that seed gestating in them for for literally decades. I mean, there's a, a substantial number of deacons who considered the priesthood, were in the seminary, uh, and for one reason or another did not uh, did not become ordained as a priest. And that may have been as a young man. And uh, you know, 30 years later, they're looking at uh, deaconate ordination. So I'd, I'd hold that out as well for those who might be considering uh, the deaconate, that uh, because the priesthood did not work out for whatever reason, that is not a reason to not um, look further at, uh, at the deaconate. Um, not that it's a substitute, it's a different vocation, but yet it's, uh, it may reflect a, a person who's who takes his faith seriously, um, who, who's heard a call, uh, is attuned to listening in that, in that, in that way. Um, so those, those, those men, too, might be uh, looking at the diaconate. That's very good advice. Because I, I was in the seminary for a little bit, and one of my sort of defense mechanisms every time somebody says, you should become a deacon, I don't say it, but in the inside my head says, I have been a seminarian and I've been there. I don't need this. Okay, so that's yeah, very true. Right. Yeah. Yes. I think, uh, and particularly in our cohort, um, the gentlemen who went through our CIA were particularly effective as well. That's not a, a, a holdback of the RCIA. Sure. Um, um, so probably our one of our best deacons in our cohort was, or two of them were RCIA. And then there are several people who, who Go into formation and say this ain't this is not for me. Excuse my English, but uh, and and they walk away and that's fine. You know, let's follow the follow where the Holy Spirit leads us. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about joy, and I think that that's so important in vocations, particularly in the priesthood, is that that people, young people today, need to see the joy in our faith, the joy of a being a priest, the joy of being a deacon. Um, if they don't see the joy, why 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 do it? So. Well, one of the things that's sort of interesting with the, the joy, I think if you ask the average person what they think of a priest or a deacon or a bishop, they're always on their knees praying. Um, I happen to like baseball, and so I tend to go to a few baseball games, and there are a few adult beverages that usually take <laughs> place during that time. Uh, you get together you know, with some other friends. You're normal people living out a normal life but you always keep the center on God. And so you're right that a lot of people miss the joy. It's not all work. You know, it's not all praying. It's living within your community and sharing the joy of your life with one another. Where'er the Catholic sun doth shine, there you will find laughter and good red wine. At least I've always heard it so, Benedicamos Domino. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) <laughs> and the poet's name escapes me at the moment, but it'll it'll come back to me. But you can even you know change red wine for a good Irish whiskey. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think it's, you know, imperative on us because I think, you know, in my life, do I show, show the joy Monday through Friday? Probably not so much with all the things that we have going on. And as indicative of 2017, we're all doing too much. Um, but I think we all need to focus on, on the joy. And uh, I think there'd be more vocations if we talked more about the joy, the joy of the faith, the freedom that our faith gives us. And let's segue into a spiritual direction moment here. One of the things I've found most effective is, is the examine. Both traditionally it's at nighttime. This is a, a, a review of, of the day. But also to do it first thing in the morning before you leave the house. To think about that resolution of what I want, what grace I, I hope to receive today. And it keeps me, because if I do that at night, that's so long before I, you know, the, 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 the day takes place. So I, I've begun to, uh, in morning prayer, before I leave the house, to ask the Lord, all right, what, what am I faced with today? And where can I ask for your help? Uh, where do I need uh, to get myself together in order to, to be joyful? Um, so that's just the problems of my short-term memory. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it, it does not last for eight hours, uh, so... Thank you for that Ignatian uh, moment. Okay, thank you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I jumped in. in oh, my, my, my experience of joy was very, very practical. Uh, in the first and second year of our formation, my wife and I noticed a great change in our relationship. It, there was something different. We were, I would use the word joyful, we were happier together. Not that we were not in a good relationship before, but something was building up. And I think the closer each of us were to Jesus, the more closer we were to each other. And to me, that was my first experience of joy in this formation program in the diaconate. I remember in formation, uh, the priest uh, telling us that uh, one thing happens for formation is that your marriage gets stronger and better and more alive. And I remember thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> I got to bring my wife to all these events. It's not going to get any better. And, and uh, I have to say I was wrong that day that uh, uh, our marriage is as strong as it's ever been. And I think the, the closeness that you have during during formation helps that. And particularly because you go through formation as a partnership. You know, you hear about the deacon and the deacon, deacon, but it's a partnership. And, and it's a partnership with your wife who is doing a lot of family things while you're in formation. Somebody's with the kids, somebody's doing these aspects, and uh, it's a par partnership that she has to agree with or, uh, or you can't do it. Of course, you don't have to be married to be a deacon. We had a, gu a guy that was uh, in our cohort that was, that was not married. Um, that's a whole other set of issues, which I, <laughs> I have a hard enough time talking about the marriage issues than talk about his particular issues, but uh, I'm certainly open to any Catholic who's eligible for doing that. So is it going through there? Um, we are up against our, our next break, and uh, this is WSFI, the Deacon's Roundtable, FM 88.5 on your tune-in, or uh, uh, radio dial, or WSFI radio radiocatholic.com.
Regnum Christi offers you to come away from the busyness of life for a Catholic women's silent retreat based on the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Deepen your knowledge and love of Jesus Christ and discover the voice of God who longs to speak to your heart. What better way to do this than amid the peaceful and beautiful surroundings of the Marytown Retreat Center and National Shrine of St. Maximilian Colby. The retreat runs from November 10th through 12th. Please call Susan at 314-607-8348 for more information. My name is Father Dominic Pelusi. I'm a member of the Priests of the Sacred Heart. I have been ordained for 41 years. St. Paul tells us, how shall they call on Jesus in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe unless they have heard of him? And how can they hear unless there is someone to preach? We have the opportunity for Catholic Radio to do exactly that, to bring the Word of God into our houses, but more importantly, into our hearts. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. And we're back. We're at the Deacon's Roundtable at WSFI 88.5 FM. So uh, we've been talking a little bit about the life of the deacon and some of the, the identity of the deacon. Um, for people who are interested, uh, um, there is a process that, that you have to go through to become a deacon as of any ministry. And uh, we like to highlight the fact that the process is a little bit different in Chicago and Rockford and, and Milwaukee. So for those that are interested, make sure you consult the right diocesan website <laughs> for being interested. But uh, Vicar Hudzik, uh, <laughs> since you are the ranking, ranking deacon here, can you start us on, on some of the requirements? Uh, yes, the, uh, uh, you need to be in a, uh, uh, a sacramental marriage if you are married. Uh, you need to be a Roman Catholic. It uh, certainly helps if you're practicing. You know, there's just minimal threshold sorts of things that um, that are prerequisites, I, I guess you would say, is that uh, you need to be disposed towards um, uh, towards pursuit of, of the sacrament. Uh, the ordination uh, year is, what is it, 35 uh, years old, I think, is the youngest uh, by canon law. 
Um, in Chicago, you can begin formation uh, before age 35 so that when you're finished with the formation, you'd be ready for ordination. Um, there is no uh, maximum age uh, canonically, uh, although in Chicago, uh, the, if, uh, the, the formation is, is not in my particular uh, domain. I have the post-ordination guys. Any particular questions about the Chicago uh, entry into the program would be through the website at the University of St. Mary of the Lake Institute for Diaconal Studies. But Chicago, in terms of the maximum age, um, the, uh, the expectation in Chicago is that you're ordained by age 62, I think, is, uh, is the year. So uh, it's really not, you know, Greg, back to your point about, well, I'm going to wait till I'm, I'm retired. That's really not going to work in Chicago if retirement means age 65 because um, uh, the, the hope is that the significant expenditure of resources in training a man to become a deacon, the, there's, a, there's a sufficient return on that investment um, so that you're ordained uh, you know, by age, age 62. Um, so if you're thinking about it, get your application in. Talk to uh, the, the folks at, uh, at Mundelein Seminary for the Chicago Archdiocese. Um, it's, you know, beyond, I don't want to say beyond that there's nothing else required, but y you need uh, the, the heart, you need the, uh, the disposition, you need the, uh, the inclination. Um, the program is offered in English and in Spanish. Um, you need uh, academically the ability to uh, handle college-level material. I was going to say, but you don't, in Chicago, you're not required to have a college degree. You're not required to have a college degree. There are any number of uh, men who are going through formation with uh, uh, high school equivalencies. Uh, the, again, it's if can you handle college-level material. Uh, there are some dioceses across the country where you end up with a master's degree. Uh, Chicago is not one of them um, because, as, as we said, you don't need the bachelor's to, to get going on it. Um, it's, uh, I don't know what else, uh, in terms of qualifications, what else to, to well, say. I, I, one of the ones that uh, I thought I'd bring up a little bit is that uh, anytime you're ordained, you have to agree that you will not marry again. Uh, and I remember when I was first ordained, a good friend of my wife's walked up to me. And she said, Greg, you, do you know you can't get married again? I said, yeah, you kind of have to think about that for a few years before, and, and up front. But um for me, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, uh, one, I don't think my wife's going anywhere for a while, but but still, it uh, it wasn't something that I dwell on. But it is something, of course, um, with the priesthood and and other aspects that people do dwell on. That was that an issue for any of you guys? Not really. One of the things was sort of interesting that I was always concerned about that um, we actually adopted my older daughter as I was beginning my second year of formation, and. If something ever happened to my wife, how was I going to be a single dad trying to go through this? It just wasn't going to happen. Um, but I said, now both of the kids are out of the house, or at least one's in college. The other one's out. Um, it's Even if my wife died, it, wouldn't, it, it would not be an issue at this point. I mean, you would miss the companionship of your, of your soulmate. But it's the marriage is a lot more stronger than just a person that you live with. And so and that's always that love is always going to be there independent if the person is there or not. 
And, and for me, being a chemist, it's not like I'll get a second date with any other girl anyway. I got one date, and that was you know that was it. I had to marry that girl. Lucky, yeah. <laughs> How about you, Mike? I, th- I think that the Yakinet is a product of the marriage relationship. So to me, this is my vocation. is a fruit of that uh, relationship. And even if my wife passed away, I feel like I'm simply continuing what both of us has started. And sure, I would miss the companionship, mm. but I think she will be around in many other ways. Yes. I agree, Charlie. And will be with me. You know, I have to say, Mike, that's uh, uh, kudos to you. I've never heard it expressed that way, that uh, the, the diaconate is a, is a fruit of the marriage. But that's, that's so true because you don't do this if you are married without the full participation of your wife. And you're, you're even, you know, ratcheting that up uh, a lot of notches that uh, this, this comes as a result of the life that you've, you've lived and the love that you've shared, um, which is why... You know, Greg. Earlier, you mentioned about the, the requirement that the uh, the wife consents uh, with an informed consent to this this process. That as a as a married man, how can I possibly contemplate doing anything as significant as this without the blessing of my wife? It, it, or and and hereafter, after ordination, how can I expect to to grow as a deacon without my my companion, uh, my spouse, growing with me as well? So the formation for for deacons, before preordination is husband and wife, and postordination, deacon and wife, uh, the the two have to grow together. And it's I think it's also important with with different dioceses have requirements for the wives, what how much they participate in the program. Um, I think it's important in Chicago. Um, they're very clear. that said your wife your wife is up to her. There's certain events that she has to attend, but she's not attending all of them unless she wants to be there. Um, you know, it, it's it's her job to participate in supporting her husband in in this big vocation, and I think that's a um, very as- important thing to ask uh, to highlight that uh, that the the wife is certainly part of this, but there's no real in Chicago. There's no real requirements for the wife other than a few few events that they have to attend. Yeah, and and the requirements look in the, are, are in the direction of of spiritual formation. It's not the academic component. Right. So to make sure husband and wife are not growing apart as That's a result of formation. What, a, what an outrage, uh, what an irony that would be, is to uh, make the guy all holy and uh, the, the wife is left behind. It's just absurd. It's absurd. So, Dave, you were ordained, uh, you know... long time ago. Back when I was <laughs> learning to drive. <laughs> but uh, how have you seen the changes in, in, in formation and the aspect of... Uh, uh, you've seen newer deacons and the experience that you've gone through? Um, probably the biggest change, it, there's a m- much higher academic requirement to the program, or, or academic aspect of the requirement. Um, one of the major requirements, besi- well, there was you know, some of the academic classes that went through, I don't think they were as rigorous as they are now. Uh, either that or I was not mature enough to appreciate the rigorousness of them. Um, one of the things that was very highly focused on when I was ordained, which was 24 years ago, was the servant aspect of the deacon um, to the community. And how I have always put it in my mind is that it was I was on the altar 
And I w- my job was to take the gifts of that altar out into the streets and to share that with everybody on the street, but then come back from the streets and share their gifts with the, with the altar. And, and that's how I've always, that sort of was stressed with it when I was being trained. There was a, um, always a great fear of clericalism. And so the deacon was only to, you know, to be the servant. There was no privilege that came with that as far as, um, you know, wearing a collar or doing things like that. It was, you were there to be a servant for other people. And that was the primary stress of, of, I guess, the program is that, you know, you were there to be a beacon and a servant for people. And so... I think that's sort of some of the biggest changes. I mean, the, you still had to do some of the work within church, but it was more stressed that your charism as a deacon was to go beyond the church to outside. And when did you see that change coming through? Well, I think I think there's a little bit of a, as the number of priests have gone and the and number of things that have to get done, I think over the past 20 years or so, you started, you know, slowly but slowly seeing you know, shifts. Um, I think when the the program changed in Chicago and became a little bit more academically rigorous, you know, that sort of necessitated that they also were qualified and prepared to help the priest dealing with all the duties of running a parish. The first thing that came to mind for me about leading the academic is just that my generation was probably the beginning of the church's challenges and the catechism. In teaching the masses, you know, the the faith became more of a uh, kumbaya and let's sing joy with Jesus instead of what we have to learn about our faith. So um, we certainly need our deacons and and all of our our religious and clergy and people who work with the church to be well grounded in the faith of the church. Um, May not be a big idea or the way that why they did that, but that's the first thing that came to my mind. And I I was, so David, if I did the arithmetic right, you're 1983? Uh, 93. Ni- 93. I, di- I didn't do the arithmetic. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that was close. Uh, and I was ordained in 98. And, and uh, uh, Greg and Mike, you're 2013. 14. 14. Yeah. Uh, so I'm in the middle of uh, in, in this group. And I think um, I have a little bit of, of both the experience of um, the, uh, I don't want to call it non-academic, but I think I was part of the, we have the pendulum swinging um, back and forth, and I think there's there's been a fair amount of experimentation with this, how to train deacons uh, in this very young uh, ministry. Uh, you know, we just next next year is the 50th anniversary of the restoration of the permanent diaconate, um, and so I think there's been a definitely there's been a change. Um, 2005 was the publication of the, the National Directory. Uh, USCCB put out the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops uh, for the life and formation of permanent deacons. Um, and that did uh, endeavor to articulate the subject matters that uh, a deacon ought to be somewhat versed in. Um, and that was a new territory, I think, in a sense. Um, before that, the diocese, there was a directory, but it was not quite so so detailed. So you are going to see um, that that change, and, and there, there has been a, a change over the years. 
I think one of the, my my thought is that um, to the extent the deacon is up in front of people, teaching, exhorting, uh, preaching, I sure hope he knows what he's talking about. Um, and I think there 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 may have been some uh, some unhappy experiences that that uh, not everybody was quite as well versed as they should have been. But as again, as you say, David, the you know the the call of the deacon to do this or that other thing has has, has shifted over time. Um, depending on your parish, you may be you know sort of like the baptism drone um, because there are just there's so many so many baptisms. Uh, there's such a liturgical demand, um, and that's not so at all the parishes. Well, there's also another aspect. I think that's important for people to realize that not everyone is going to have all the gifts. So your particular charism may be doing something different. You know, so um, you may not be preaching all the time. Someone else may be preaching all the time. You know, you may be very good at instruction. And so that's something that you do. So whatever gifts you have is what you bring to the church. That's true. What amazes me is, I know the academic requirements have changed, but when I look at the number of deacons we have, say, in our diocese, and the way the formation has turned these people into very committed, very committed Christians, it tells me that regardless of the weaknesses of the program itself, the Holy Spirit takes over and makes these people effective in, given the strengths they have and maybe even in the weaknesses they have. And so today I feel that the Ackerman program here in Chicago is robust, strong, and even getting stronger. In terms of, of what the, the formation does, um, they're, they're, the national directory talks about the four dimensions of, of, of formation. The human, are you a mature adult? Are you able to navigate your way through with other people, are you? Uh, the other dimension is the intellectual. Do we know the the richness of the church's tradition? The other dimension is is spiritual. That's the the third part of uh, formation. Of course, you need to be thoroughly grounded and be a man of prayer. And then the last is the ministerial dimension of your formation. Do you know how to do what you're supposed to be doing? So the formation is going to go through all four of those. Uh, areas and it takes four years to do it um, and that's just the beginning uh, that's just the beginning of a of a life of of learning it's uh we, we talk about the academic things and, and of course that's the requirement but i i know in, in our cohort uh one of the deacons that we looked up to the most uh was did not have a degree but he had the biggest heart and uh, he had a love and the holy spirit in his life and a wonderful marriage that he shared with his parish, and uh, um, if you got that grounding and that that footwork, uh, you don't have to worry about anything else. So, well, that brings us to the end of our second Deacons Roundtable. Thank you for joining us on WSFI 88.5 FM, and uh, we will talk to you in the airwaves later. God bless you. <laughs> <laughs>